Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, it's the Loretta McNary Show. I never get tired of that, everybody. Hi there. Welcome in and good morning. Welcome to the Loretta McNary Live radio show. Let me tell you, and I do say this, and I admit it, I say it every show, because it's true every show. I'm so excited. Our guest is so legendary, so phenomenal, so fabulous and awesome. Yes, he is all of that and more. But let me just give you a couple of announcements before I bring on um, the fabulous J.D. Power. We've had a conversation pre-show, pre and let me tell you, I am so, I am, you know, I'm always over the top and, and have to remind myself to slow down because I get excited about life because it's just that great. But, um you're going to love this show. You will be inspired, and you will get a lot of knowledge that can help your next experience, car buying or restaurant or clothes shopping or hotel staying, one of the best you've had. And there's a two-way street, and he'll tell you about that. But let me remind everybody that on Friday, <laughs> December 7th, I, the Loretta McNary TV show side, we are celebrating our seventh anniversary. Yes, seven years of having our own show and wa walking the red carpet, interviewing on the red carpet, so I'm super excited, which means it's our fifth annual Kindle Awards. As you know, or those who may not, it is our annual um, award gala, Black Tie event, where we salute, honor, unsung heroes, people who do amazing work under the radar, never been publicly recognized, never received anything other than a thank you from the people that they help. So we're recognizing them on a big scale, and that's at our fifth annual Kindle Awards this Friday. So um, tickets are still available. Yes, yeah, shameless plug. <laughs> so go to KindleAwards.com. And remember, not only do you get to have a good time and help honor and salute people who work hard for us, but you are making um, your donations go toward a worthy cause of girls and boys in our community um, offering the programs so that they can have self-esteem, leadership development skills, entrepreneur, and philanthropy engagement. How about that? So KindleAwards.com is the place you want to go to get more information. Okay, without further ado, let me tell you about my guest. I'm super uber, uber excited. You know that's my new word, right? <laughs> you hear it all the time, and I hear a lot of you using it now. Okay, so. The man who revolutionized the auto industry, this is, um, my, he's my guest today, yeah, formed at James David, <laughs> Dave Power III's kitchen table in 1968, J.D. Power and Associates revolutionized the auto industry, a name synonymous today with improving overall car quality and customer satisfaction, Dave Power helped the auto industry truly understand the value of listening directly to the voice of the customer. His mission would not only change how the auto industry operated, it affected the way nearly every manufacturing and service industry sought out and responded to customer feedback. I could go, go on and on and on about his um, bio and all that information, but wouldn't you rather hear from the man himself? I agree. Me too. Everybody, welcome to Loretta McNary Live, the phenomenal, incredible, legendary Dave Power. Hello, Mr. Dave. Welcome back. I thank you for having me on. Uh, I've been uh, introduced uh, several times over the years, but uh, that was the best introduction I could expect. <laughs> oh, see, you you know customer service to a T is always about the other person, right? <laughs> Just like right. marriage. They said the best secret to a long cab marriage is to always make it about the other person. So you you get that. You get so many points today, Power. You get so many points today. Okay. So back in 1968, what was happening that you decided you needed to um, take a stand? What happened? In, was it in your life or somebody's life you heard about that had an issue, maybe buying a car? What was going on? Well, I had worked at uh, Ford Motor Company, my first assignment, uh, and uh, they, uh, I wanted marketing, and they said, no, uh, we're emphasizing the financial aspects of Ford Motor Company, and we'd like you to go to uh, uh, Ford Tractor Division. And uh, I said, oh, boy, <laughs> I don't know whether <laughs> I want that. But uh, as it turns out, I was the only uh, trainee uh, in the uh, company at the time, 
and uh, I got experience extraordinaire. It was uh, just tremendous. And uh, Ford Tractor was in deep trouble going out of business because they didn't keep up uh, uh, in tune with the changes going on in the farming industry uh, at that point in time. This was back in 1959. So I uh, really got uh, uh, an education uh, on-the-job training. And uh, one of the first things I did uh, was assigned was to do an audit of the tractor dealers who had just completed a three-month contest to sell more tractors and implements. And uh, evidently, uh, uh, we found out through the uh, uh, record-keeping that uh, they uh, were taking credit for selling some of the, the tractors that were still standing on their lots. So I was sent out in Michigan to uh, audit the tractor dealers and then went from there to uh, Illinois and then Ohio and then down uh, into West Virginia, Virginia, North and South Carolina. So I got an experience without uh, really having the training I learned on the job. (laughs) <laughs> and tractors, right? It's not as glamorous as selling a, a Ford automobile. So you get, you have to change your entire mindset and and what you really want to do to sell tractors. And then you find out that it's not a really totally at first about selling the tractors, but auditing the sales or on sales of yes. tractors. Yes, <laughs> and it um, it was an experience that uh, I. I don't think I could have gotten anywhere else. And I saw how they were going out of business. And uh, that's when I decided after a uh, year and a half on that job, uh, uh, I could see that uh, I had uh, not much of a future there. And so I ended up uh, uh, finding a job with uh, the advertising agency for uh McCann Erickson's uh, market research arm and went to work on the Buick account. So I got experience first at Ford, now at General Motors. And uh, it was uh, another outstanding experience because the industry had just gone through a deep recession and was trying to recover. Wow, so you go from one bad ship to another, seems to me. But <laughs> like you Those said, there was the no other way to get though. experience. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. In 1959, early 60s. Okay, so we kind of fast forward through um, all that was going on with lack of cells and you having to, you know, do different things. So, again, my question, so now that we – you, you've done that. So what was going on in your head when you knew the, sales, the automobile industry was having those kinds of issues and that, you know, the sales weren't there, so that meant the money for a salesperson wasn't there? Well, I, I in doing market research for GM, uh, I found out that uh, uh, the research results were screwed, uh, uh, actually screwed, I guess. Uh, they were... Uh, <laughs> Uh, really uh, telling what a good job uh, Buick was doing. And uh, uh, you could only work for one uh, company in an industry in those days if you were doing market research because they kept it all in-house. And so I found out that it was uh, a very frustrating experience for me trying to give them the straightforward information. And that's when I decided to leave Detroit and ended up in eventually in uh, Los Angeles. And uh, that's when I uh, got awakened to something else. Uh, I was working for uh, McCulloch Chainsaws at that time. And my roommate from uh, Wharton, uh, University of Pennsylvania, uh, came 
out from Rochester, New York, with two of his friends, and they had just quit their jobs, one with uh, GE, another with uh, Xerox, who was headquartered in Rochester, New York at that time, and the other with Kodak. And uh, they came out to California. I went to dinner with them, and I said, what are you guys doing? You quit your jobs, you have families, and uh, I couldn't believe it. Uh, and uh, they said, well, we're, this is back in uh, January of 1968. And uh, I said, well, what are, you, what are you going to do? And they were out in California to speak with the aerospace industry uh, because they had... Uh, the idea that they were going to measure uh, utility meters at each of the homes uh, by satellite. Now, this isn't back in 1968. <laughs> I said, well, I, how are you going to get this off the ground? And, uh, and what would you do if it doesn't work out? And I said, well, we'll just find another job somewhere else. Uh, he said, uh, uh, they were committed to it, and they went back uh, uh, to Rochester, and I really didn't find out much more of what was going on at that time. But I went home that night, and uh, when I got up in the morning, I told my wife what uh, was going on. And I said, you know, I think I should start my own company. <laughs> And she said, let's go for it. And she was ready. And we started on the kitchen table and surveying. And lo and behold, uh, I found out that there was a Japanese company returning to the United uh, to the U.S. market after being bombed out uh, 10 years before. And they had a new car, and it turns out it was Toyota. And uh, I called on them and uh, ended up uh, uh, meeting the head of uh, Toyota's operation in the United States. And I looked at his, his uh, business card, and it said, Tatsuro Toyota. And he was one of the family members and went on uh, after that uh, to become uh, CEO of the whole Toyota operation and became a good friend of mine and that's how I got started back again with the automotive and so we were working here in Los Angeles and providing them information and they believed in uh, a lot of the uh, advice I was giving them and I was going to Japan three or four times a year and uh making reports on how they were doing in the U.S. market, and they listened to it. And this was a breath of uh, fresh air for me, and uh, <laughs> that's how we got started in the, back okay, so in the automobile you, industry. You were, I'm like, how did you, I mean, you talked to your three friends, and they all left major corporations, even to this day, these corporations are major GE, Xerox, and Kodak, and so they just leave their jobs, and you, you were like so fascinated that you decided, hey, if they can leave their jobs and, you know, do this thing on the side, why don't I become an entrepreneur? How did you sell that to your wife? Because, again, we're talking 1968, around yes. about. She was a, a, a gem. Uh, she uh, tabulated the questionnaires when we get them returned by mail. <laughs> and uh, uh, the kids, uh, uh, the two older kids, uh, we ended up with four all together, uh, two <laughs> boys and two girls. And uh, they uh, would get on the uh, living room floor and uh, fold the uh, letters and the questionnaires and stuff them in the envelope. Uh, they put a quarter on them uh, uh, for an incentive to reply. And we, we would get around a 40 to 50% response rate 
because the people were interested in talking about their new cars and what was wrong with them. So uh, that's how we got started. Oh, I love that. And how, because now I don't feel so bad about having my children work and, you know, do things that normal children weren't able to do or had to do in, in, our, in our family business. And I guess now my dad, too, because that makes me a second um, entrepreneur, second generation entrepreneur, and now my children are third. So I can relate to how you had them on the floor, you know, filling out, put stuff in envelopes and putting quarters in there. And that teaches our children values and responsibility, and, and it helps them become more successful, I think, if they have to work, you know, in our businesses as, you know, early ages. So I really love that in your four children. I'm sure they probably didn't like it all the time then, but they can probably appreciate it now. Because one of your sons actually, are, are, are they all involved? I know um, number four, well, <laughs> J.D. Power number four is involved. Are any of your other children involved as well? Uh, well, they were. Uh, I sold the company to McGraw-Hill in um, 05. And uh, they stayed on, and I stayed on for about uh, uh, four years. And uh, we finally decided that we weren't necessary with the way the uh, McGraw-Hill people were uh, running the business. And uh, so we formed a family office. And uh, my the reason... One of the main reasons I sold the company was my wife had passed away from uh, MS in 01, 02. And uh, we uh, were, uh, uh, well, she was a, a big loss for us. And uh, uh, we decided then and there maybe we'd better sell the company and uh, we devote a lot of our time to uh, a now a family office, and uh, we have a foundation. And the foundation is the uh, Kenrose Kitchen Table Foundation. <laughs> and that was based on where Kenrose was the address that uh, we lived at, and... Uh, that's uh, what we look forward to now is uh, one of our uh, major donations is made to the MS Society yeah. and uh, several others into the education field and medicine. So uh, we're spending a lot of our time working in uh, the philanthropy area, and I, okay. I, I think it's been worthwhile for our whole family. Awesome. You know, I read that you're in your early 80s, but talking to you, I just, I don't know how you're supposed to sound when you're in your early 80s, but I just wouldn't imagine that you, your voice would be as strong as your voice is today. So I just want to say kudos to you on that. And I'm one of those people, it's the little things that fascinate me. You know, you've had an amazing life thus far, and of course you have even more left to live. But I look at those little things, and I look how even when you're talking about your wife, how you know, we can feel the love and the 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 good energy that you still have for her. And when you mentioned about her going on and had you in 2001, 2002, how you know I could feel your pain still because of your loss. But oh my goodness, I know she's just danced around heaven, <laughs> just smiling uh, at you yeah. now and so happy about it. So, yeah. but let's yeah. I'm um, I'm remarried now, and we just mm -hmm. celebrated on Thanksgiving. Uh, my new wife, uh, Joan, it's a, our 10th anniversary, so time All marches right. on. And it uh, does. She was a friend of my wife and our backdoor neighbor. And uh, as it turns out, she thought I was a snob uh, <laughs> because uh, I was never at the local events, uh, the, uh, you know, the neighborhood uh, get-togethers. I was always traveling. <laughs> so uh, life goes on. 
life goes on. And that's, that in itself is an amazing story because, you know, I, I'm more interested in people who don't get caught up in the Loretta McNary Kool-Aid. You know what I mean? So yes. I know that when I am married, it will be somebody who's like, okay, that's fine what you do. I'm really happy about that. But uh, you, either you're going to be my wife and be a wife or you're going to be, you know, I'm not drinking the Kool-Aid until, you know, that won't be like the first thing they like about me. It will be so secondary, and that's what I'm I'm hoping for. And it sounds like Joan has figured that out too, <laughs> that what you yeah. do and who you, you know, for a living is so secondary to the man that she fell in love with and wants to be married to. Yeah. yeah. So that's pretty yeah. cool. That's pretty cool. And she's had uh, her husband died at a relatively early age. He was in his early 50s. And uh, mm. so uh, we've got now six children. She had two, and uh, I had four. So we have six children, and maybe it's uh, so far 12 grandchildren now. So, wow. I, again, it keeps us busy. It keeps you busy and so alive. So now can we let's talk about some of the lessons that you actually learned and then how you were able to pass it on. Um, because I, I not only to Toyota but to other automobile um, makers, and we kind of joked about, you know, that we have like two, <laughs> we make two cars out here in Mississippi, and I told you, yeah, but we we buy about a hundred thousand cars here, <laughs> so everybody in Memphis, Tennessee, Shelby County seems like they have a car or two. So we're keeping the automobile automobile industry alive here and well. So what are some yeah. of the lessons, the the true lessons that you you know you were first seeing, or what was clear when you were getting your surveys back from the forty five fifty percent of the people? What was the most um, most people have the same issue. What, what can you say? What that was, and if it, is it still relative today? Uh, no, it isn't relative today. I'll tell you that up front. Uh, but uh, in those days, in '68, uh, about uh, over 50 percent of the problems that they reported had to do with the uh, engine, the transmission or the drivetrain of the vehicle, and the quality uh, was not that good at all. And uh, what we did was we showed the manufacturers this, and we uh, did the whole industry, uh, and we owned the data so that we could say it like it is, and uh, that's a big lesson that I found. You want to be able to be independent and uh, have integrity and uh, also have impact. Those were the three eyes that uh, uh, we uh, instituted uh, as a, the values of uh, what we were doing within J.D. Power & Associates. And uh, those uh, really hold true today. Right, which means that all industries, whether it's automobile or banking or you know travel industry, those things, those values are the, the thing that makes the difference between a great company and a good company. Because you know automobiles, transmissions, motors, engines, all that's gonna you know. Yeah. Every every car has one of those. So you of course got is either got to be a great engine or a bad engine. So but the thing that I like you said, the value is having integrity you know, doing what you say you're going to do when you say you're going to do it, delivering, you know, making sure the customer understands all that. So is so what you said, that is the one true um, thing that has made you, you successful, successful and other companies successful, or is it the product? Well, the, the, the product um, in automotive uh, really has improved uh, three to 400% over what it was in 1968 today. And all of the surviving companies uh, are much closer together in their quality and reliability. And the differences uh, today are the new technology that are going into the vehicles. And the customers uh, are increasing their demands. As soon as you... uh, uh, fix something, uh, you'll find out that they have some ideas on other things that have to be done. 
and the treatment in the showroom of the um, car dealerships is something that uh, has taken maybe 35, 40 years to uh, uh, understand, have the uh, people working in the dealerships to understand how important those consumers were. Uh, so I like that you said, because I see that too, because I, I think car salesmen, their job is probably more difficult today, and we talk about because of information that's available. Also, because now, like you said, car, their, um, cars are so much closer to being alike than ever before to me. So, you know, I guess it's more difficult to sell unless it's a brand loyalty kind of thing, a Toyota versus a Honda, because they're so close now, even a Kia and a Honda. You know, the, the, the quality of the cars are so much closer. I don't know if that's right. the term for that, but you know what I mean? The cars all look amazing, and technology in the cars are pretty much the same. Some have a few more bells and whistles. And I think name recognition is what's really setting them more apart than the quality of the vehicle, if yes, that makes and sense. I, they're, they're almost equal. Uh, but the images of the various uh, car companies uh, are uh, really uh, difficult to to measure today. Uh, for instance, uh, Hyundai and Kia uh, are Korean car companies, and uh, they're building most of the cars here in the United States now. But uh, they, um, I think, uh, they have equal quality today, if not even better, uh, than uh, the domestic car companies or the Japanese car companies, and yet their image is still lagging. It'll take uh, four or five more years for them to uh, reach uh, uh, the top, like Lexus is today, Lexus and uh, um, a lot of the other uh, top-line uh, Japanese imports. So it, it evens out, and yet there's room to keep improving. And those who understand the consumer uh, at all levels of the distribution system are the ones that uh, will stay on top. So it, it's great for the consumer today. Yeah, uh, yeah. They're in charge, and... Uh, uh, the more information they get, the greater they expect to get in their next vehicle. Wow. So do you think the customer experience is different, like for a BMW 700 Series customer as opposed to a Kia or a Hyundai customer experience? Because we agree, uh, I mean, the cars are, you know, potato potato to me today. So... Are those customer experiences a little different? Do you, in your findings, have you seen that uh, BMW car dealership, their customer service is better than, say, a Kia, or is it uh, usually the same? No, uh, it's usually about the same. But uh, what happens is that uh, if uh, you have a strong reputation, uh, the expectations of your customers are going to be more demanding. And uh, so it's a, what we're, we measure with our uh, customer satisfaction survey and our quality survey is the difference between what the customer expects from that brand or... Uh, and what they, uh, they're going from their expectations, how well is that brand meeting uh, their expectations? So it's a relative measure that we have, and it goes across all car manufacturers and all uh, models. Uh, so if you raise the expectations, uh, you're going to... Uh, have to deliver better. And so it's an ongoing uh, challenge for everyone in the industry to keep ahead of those expectations. 
And as the consumer gets more informed, uh, their expectations continue to increase. And now we have uh, so much going on in the uh, electronics end of the business that uh, it's very difficult uh, for any one manufacturer to get a lead ahead of the other. And sometimes they uh, jump too fast and... uh, they have a problem show up. And uh, I think that uh, that's good for the consumer because uh, they're, they're demanding more and they're getting more. And it's going to continue on that way. So, uh, and it isn't only in the automobile industry. It's just about every industry. The home electronics uh, is another example of how you have to keep going and keep uh, increasing. But you can't do it too fast because you'll have uh, a problem with uh, uh, something technical today. Uh, You might uh, find that it is much more difficult to judge when a product or service is ready for the consumer because it's, it's a moving target. Yeah, that's um, probably making the recalls more often and being uh, more drastic, I guess, because people are trying to, you know, beat the next brand of car automobile or the next brand of technology. So how did you all make the jump? Were you asked to go into other industries or you decided, hey, this is working so well in the automobile industry, why don't we go into the hotel lodging, transportation, electronic industry? How did you go from strictly being, or were you always more than just automobiles? Well, um, no. um, We always uh, would get requests uh, to do a survey of uh, a particular industry. The automobile insurance is an example. Uh, And they'd ask us to do it, and we said, well, we're not going to do it just for your company. We have to do it across the board for everyone that's competing in it. And uh, in that way, uh, the consumer gets what they're, they're hoping for uh, in their expectations. So uh, it's an it's a interesting thing. We, we've had more requests. The hotel industry uh, came to us and asked us to do it. Uh, and uh, it's been uh, uh, an education for us to uh, get uh, working on these things. Uh, uh, And uh, we think that uh, there's some, well, for instance, we went into the um, computer industry when uh, personal computers were first in vogue in the late 80s and early 90s. And uh, the first survey we did, uh, the top one uh, turned out to be uh, uh, one that nobody in the industry would have expected it. And it was uh, the uh, Dell computers. And uh, Dell himself started uh, in his uh, college dormitory uh, selling these uh, new computers, and he had a whole system worked out. And lo and behold, uh, that's what people wanted was the type of service he was providing. And uh, when they came out on top, uh, their stock uh, uh, jumped up about uh, uh, 10 points uh, the day that that was announced. And uh, that uh, startled us as as much as uh, (laughs) it did the consumers out there. But uh, I think that uh, we we find that uh, uh, the computer industry is moving so fast, even our research can't keep up with what's going (laughs) on. And uh, uh, we we found that. uh, we had to uh, do a, an evaluation whether to continue in the computer industry, and eventually we dropped it. 
because uh, they were working on the next product, uh, and they didn't. They weren't interested in the older product that they had out in the marketplace. So uh, we would pick and choose which ones we spent more time with. The hotel industry okay. is a is a, though a, a great one, uh, and it was uh, the uh, people that um, in the luxury hotels that uh, really. Uh, helped us understand the marketplace there. And uh, that has been uh, an interesting one. Uh, another one would yeah. be the airlines. And uh, You know, before we talk to, about the airlines, let me, let me tell you, I'm actually a recipient via Hilton Hotels of a couple of J.D. Power Associates Awards. <laughs> I work for the Hilton uh, Corporation, so I have like two of those awards, and I I have them proudly. Let me tell you. Oh, <laughs> and so that's great. why I was confused. I'm like, this is an automobile thing. This is before I knew a lot about it. And I, as um, I your publicist, thank God for publicists, they reached out to me, and I was like, you know what? I have a JD Power Social. Of course, I got it, and I get to talk to the actual JD Power guy. Of course, we want to do this interview. So I'm very proud. I have two of them, and they're so beautiful. They're absolutely gorgeous. Have has the award, the physical award, changed much from when you guys first started doing this in 1968? No, uh, uh, it's um, we. Uh, it was uh, the Honda Acura division that um, when they first introduced the product, uh, uh, the Acura product, they came in first uh, for. Uh, three uh, three years in a row, and uh, we uh, had the ad agency from Honda come to us, uh, Acura division, uh, come to us, and they had this little award, a circular award, and they said, uh, if you allow us to use this, we'll turn the rights over to this award to you. And I agreed to go ahead with it, and uh, I didn't like it was a rather plain award, and I decided that uh, I'd uh, get a a more official looking, and that's when uh, my son's uh, eventual wife was working for an ad agency in the creative department, and uh, I showed her this clock that was on my desk and asked her to design uh, the uh, tombstone uh, trophy that we have. And she did the design, and it's the one we use today. And this was, uh, oh, 20 years ago uh, or more. And uh, we used the the trophy, uh, and uh, I was in the background uh, so you know 80% of the people out there don't know there is a JD power <laughs> a real person so uh, I want to say about 90% of people don't know it yeah yes and so and then he's reason, alive and well and still involved yes and uh i i wrote the book uh that we're that's been published now, uh, primarily uh, we designed it, uh, the editor and uh, official writer of the book, uh, uh, Sarah Morgans, uh, she had nothing to do with the automobile industry, and I loved that because I wanted it to be written up so that the consumers uh, would be interested in the book. It, to understand what I think we've uh, sort of calculated that uh, maybe we've sent out over six million questionnaires over the last uh, 30 years and uh, consumers uh, really have answered it and uh, I wanted uh, to uh, give them an opportunity to understand how the studies were conducted and how they were used and how we transformed the thinking 
especially in the automobile industry, on what they had to do to serve their customers better. Okay, let me tell them um, a little bit about the book, You're So Modest. So in this book, um, and it's called Power, I love that, Power, how J.D. Power III became the auto industry's advisor, confessor, and eyewitness in history, and that's, um, it was published just a couple of months ago, September 2013. And so it's an inspiration creation of the, mo- the world's most respected, influential, and independent consumer organizations. And so you share that in the book, and I want everybody to get a copy of the book because we can't share everything in this 60-minute interview because, you know, I go all off on different exits because I have so many different questions and I like my interviews to be unique. So, But I want people to get the book and just a power. I, I just love, 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 because we could just go on a tangent on just that word alone. So I want people to pick up the book, and I'm sure it's available online as well. They can Google it and go to Amazon and all those good book places to get yes, a copy of the it, book. It is. Yeah. And uh, uh, you don't have to be in the auto industry to get something amazing out of this book. If you're in any industry, if you work there, if you own a business there, and if you're a consumer especially, and we're all consumers of something, you should, um, I think you will um, be very pleased and informed and inspired uh, if you get a copy of the book Power, How J.D. Power the Third Became the Auto Industries, Advisor, Confessor, and I'll Witness the History. And it is. is, This will be written in the history books. You will be, like I said, you're legendary. It will always be a J.D. Power um, story to tell, information to share. So, But before I really interrupted you to tell you that I had a J.D. Power <laughs> Associates Award, you were getting ready to talk about the airline industry. Yes. Um, we um, got a call from, we were doing it, uh, and we got a call from uh, the um, um, the CEO of uh, Continental Airlines out of Texas, and uh, he uh, his airline was at the bottom of the the rankings, and he wanted me to come down and visit with him, and I did. And he says, "What do we have to do to get to be number one?" And uh, so we. Uh, did more detail and showed how they varied from the rest of the industry. And uh, he started his own measurements as well using uh, the uh, FAA uh, uh, data that they had. And he got everyone to listen uh, in his organization to what had to be done to get to be number one. And he eventually uh, made it in about 18 months. Uh, they came in uh, from last to first, and that's the title mm-hmm. of his book, uh, Last to First. And uh, he showed how they actually used the information to improve the quality uh, of the service that they were providing to their customers. And uh, it was uh, uh, another great, uh, Gordon Bethune is his name, and uh, I thought it was a a remarkable thing the way they turned that company around within 18 months just by understanding a little bit better what the customer was looking for. Uh, and that's really what the awards are all about and all the recognition and how recipients are selected is strictly based on a reflection of what consumers of these products and services actually think about them. They're, they're not people, your associates and your team members and the companies that you work for, they're not saying, hey, let's give Toyota another J.D. Power Associates. These are actual surveys. And um, you talk to customer consumers and find out how, what they feel about. So that's how you you are you become a recipient, right? Yes. Based on customer satisfaction. And we uh, we've gotten uh, credit uh, publicly. Uh, the press uh, really uh, put us on the map. They uh, gave us. Um, uh, information uh, uh, we sh- would share the information since we own the data we could uh, publish it 
we had some interesting things. Uh, 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 the we did a survey of the Mazda rotary engine owners uh, back in the 70s, and we found that uh, my wife found them uh, tabulations, and she said uh, Mazda has an O-ring problem. And I said, "What's an O-ring?" And she says, "I don't know, but look at this." And it pointed out that when the cars reached uh, 30 to 35,000 miles. One out of five, the engines were failing due to an O-ring leakage. And uh, that, uh, uh, we had uh, about uh, 14 car manufacturers that subscribed to the study, and it was supposed to be confidential and held in-house. Well, uh, somebody in Detroit leaked it to the Wall Street Journal, and before we knew it, we were on the front page of the Wall Street Journal <laughs> saying that uh, Mazda has an O-ring problem. And uh, Mazda had not purchased the study because their sales were going through the roof. And I got a call uh, from the general manager. I had been trying to get in to see him for two years, and uh, finally his calling me and wanted me to come and spend time with them. And it turned out to be, uh, he said, I want you on our side the next time. And I said, well, it's about time you listened. <laughs> and so uh, uh, he uh, came on as uh, one of uh, my best friends in the industry. And uh, we, uh, uh, he uh, went on from there into... Uh, working with other companies, including the DeLorean car. And, uh, that was another interesting uh, situation that uh, the DeLorean, uh, it, uh, they, uh, John DeLorean himself, uh, really uh, uh, missed the boat in understanding what the customer was uh, looking for, and of course he got into a lot of trouble, and eventually uh, uh, the car went out of business. But uh, uh, actually, he actually doubled the the numbers that I had shown him uh, in his uh, request for additional funding. And uh, as a result, it backfired on him. So there's a a lot of interesting stories, the the various car manufacturers. Uh, Subaru uh, is one that uh, is another one that uh, uh, I really love their advertising now, the way they've made (laughs) it a family car and uh, got that image across. And they uh, were a small uh, company, especially in the United States, and uh, they stuck to uh, their uh, knitting and did it right. And today uh, they're uh, right up there with the top uh, competitors. Wow. Based on your uh, your recipients of J.D. Powers, which automobile company has been consistently voted or recognized by consumers as being the, the best product, the best service, and I guess product and service pricing is always in, uh, a factor in that? Is it, because I would think the Toyota, because for some reason I just think the Toyota got a second chance with everybody, and it's like they're really taking good advantage of that. So yeah. who, who well, the Lexus took over, and they outdid uh, Acura, and uh, they learned a lot from Acura. Being a couple of years behind, they uh, learned how to do it right, and they've been right on the top. But, uh, you know, every company has a problem in keeping up with things, and I think that... Uh, uh, Lexus and Toyota, of course, they're they're both together. Uh Um, And 
I think that uh, the thing that I I found is that uh, um, Lexus uh, uh, really uh, has has been in the forefront, but uh, you know I have a dealer organization. We we formed a dealer organization to get to talk with the retailers, and we had the top. 400 dealers in the country, and I can remember back in 1981, uh, we held a conference in Palm Springs, and I had uh, uh, the the, uh, dealers in the room, and I brought in uh, a uh, speaker who uh, was able to uh, uh, give us a, a better understanding of what's going on. He said, I'm not going to, uh, this is a, a consultant to the industry, uh, and he says, I'm not going to uh, talk about each of these companies by name. He said, but I I can tell you one thing uh, when I asked him to a uh, evaluate uh, Toyota's sales strength uh, in the United States. It was going up, 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 and on the other hand, General Motors was going down, uh, losing a, 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 a point share of market every year, and I forecast that uh, they were going to uh, uh, go way further down and this is long before what was uh, was happening, and uh, uh, to Toyota, and uh, he said he wasn't going to mention either of those two companies by name, uh, but he said, uh, "When I can tell you one thing, Dave, when uh, the gods want to get even with a company, they send them forty years of good fortune." And lo and behold, uh, Toyota's 40th year in the United States was uh, a few years ago, and that's when uh, they started having all the problems. And uh, General Motors uh, had gone downhill and uh, now is on the way back. And what what he was saying with that, uh, analogy it was Peter Drucker uh, he said uh, uh, that uh, you know the really the companies run a cycle and the ones who build the company and the uh, were responsible for uh, getting it to the point where they were on the top uh those people then retire or pass away, and uh, a new group uh, takes over. And it's that new group who act as though they were responsible for the success of the company. And <laughs> as a result, they make mistakes. And uh, that's what he says. It's a continuous cycle. And I, I think that's one of the things that I learned from him. Uh, that uh, really set me thinking about how fragile uh, success is. And if you don't keep on top of it, uh, it can come back to bite you. And I think now uh, Toyota has turned the corner again, and they have a new outlook on uh, uh, what they have to do to succeed. And so uh, their 40-year cycle bottomed out about three or four years ago, and now they're rebuilding again. And I, I think they'll, you'll see them uh, at the top in the next uh, uh, few years. But they'll have the, the same type of problem that their predecessors had. So it's, it's an unending thing. But in the long run, it's great for the consumers that uh, – 
you have that kind of competition going on out there, and it makes it uh, uh, them more uh, interested in meeting those customers' needs and their expectations. So in terms of product, we all we both understand you'd have to be competitive in, in sleep design, technology, engineering, and all that. What about the – we only have a couple of minutes, and so I don't want to get too deep in this. You'll have to come back on the show soon. Um, what sets a company apart other than their sleep design, their engineering, their technology? Because I'm thinking that personal uh, experience of the car buying, you know, process is your salesperson is really key to that. Is that part of what your survey has revealed in any industry, not just yeah. automobile? But what's what's happening now is in the automobile industry, anyhow, um, is that uh, uh, the consumer is so much better informed than they were in the past that they know more than the salesperson does. And so uh, they want to bypass the salesperson and get the <laughs> the sale overnight, over uh, over with in a few minutes. And the internet is allowing that to happen. So that's another challenge uh, for virtually every industry, uh, the retail business especially, uh, the the successful retailers have a lot of challenges out there. They have to keep moving. I can think of uh, the television industry when uh, they went uh, more electronic and uh, the uh, uh, the individual uh, television uh, dealers uh, were required in every market and uh, they had to install the TV set, put an aerial on the roof, and uh, change the vacuum tubes and so forth. And within a five-year period when they went solid-state circuitry, uh, again in the uh, uh, early uh, uh, 60s, uh, it uh, changed the whole ballgame, and uh, you had the uh, big box retailers take over, and Circuit City was one of them that was very successful, and they only lasted 15, 20 years, and uh, now they're out of business, and Mm -hmm. Best Buy now, and so those things are going to continue evolving. Retailing uh, industries are uh, very uh, prone to change. And there'll be winners one season and losers the next. The Wards, Montgomery Wards and the uh, uh, Sears, Roebuck, uh, those became obsolete. And it's very difficult uh, for people to change. And that's why uh, I feel that with our customer satisfaction surveys, we give them a a, a realistic reading of where they stand. And uh, if they are able to do it and change things uh, to meet the new demands of the consumer, then they, uh, they'll they be successful. But for the most part, it's very difficult for companies to adapt. Yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine but the customer surveys are so important in any industry for any business. You always want to keep your hand on the pulse of what your customer, your consumers are thinking, what they're doing, and what they know so that you can, you know, become legendary in whatever industry and be around and not be like a Montgomery Ward or a Circuit City and other businesses that, you know, they were mecca at their time, but then something happened and they're no longer so. And they can do that. And, and I would give you a J.D. Power Associates Award because you are so awesome. <laughs> so I thank you so much for being my well, guest today. And hopefully you will definitely come back and share more with us on um, what's going on with consumers and all these different industries. And tell your lovely wife, Joan, that I said hello and happy holidays to the entire family. Well, thank you. And uh, 
thank you for the opportunity to discuss what I've been doing for the last 50 years. <laughs> it was a great conversation, and I am just honored that you would be my guest today. So um, thank you, and please come again. Feel free to listen in um, to any of our shows and be our guests. I want to thank everybody so much for listening to the Loretta McNary Live Show. We'll see you each and every day at 11 a.m. As always, think positive, dream big dreams, help someone along the way, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye, everybody.